it is a feature of of having experienced childhood trauma to doubt how bad it was, even if you know it was really bad. Wow. Even if people know it was really bad, they have no problem saying I was horrendously abused and 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 there's no doubt about that. They will still often find a way to make to find some little gems in there that really were not gems either. Wow. You know, so a big part of it, this is this is the grief work. You know, the grief is is it was really bad. Wow. And you know it's really bad because of the symptoms that followed. What are the impacts of childhood trauma? This is one of the many ways that can lead to the development of complex PTSD. If you were constantly exposed to chronic trauma during your developmental years, chances are you might be living in suffering. When you are accustomed to live in this way, any other alternative can feel impossible. Today, I want to debunk this impossibility, and I am joined by Gabrielle Marchant, a therapist that focuses on helping his clients heal from childhood trauma. We will talk about the importance of going to the root of the problem and how addiction can sometimes be linked to childhood trauma. Gabrielle will explain the therapy modality he currently practices, which is the relationship recovery process. He will talk about coming to terms with how bad things were back then, the dialoguing technique, how childhood trauma can impact your sense of belonging, and so much more. Hi, I am Raisa, a survivor of narcissistic abuse, and I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and you are listening to Hello Trauma Brain, a podcast where I share my experiences living with complex PTSD. My hope is this podcast can help destigmatize mental health and provide support to anyone diagnosed with CPTSD who thinks they might have it or has a loved one with this diagnosis. Quick reminder, I am not a licensed psychologist or mental health care professional, and this podcast is not meant to replace nor substitute the care of psychologists, other mental or medical health care professionals. If you think you might have complex PTSD or PTSD, please reach out to your primary care or mental health care provider. Any individuals and resources mentioned in this episode are not sponsoring Hello Trauma Brain. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by this week's guest are solely their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Hello Trauma Brain and the host. This episode may reference trauma or abuse, and listener discretion is advised. Remember, you can always pause or skip this episode at any time. And now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, dear survivors, and welcome to this episode of Hello, Trauma Brain. Thank you for joining me today. 
If you are listening on YouTube, a gentle reminder to hit the like button and subscribe to let me know this episode was helpful. Quick check-in. I had a very stressful week leading up to an event. I will say once I got to the event planned, I actually was able to enjoy myself mostly. And I am feeling quite recharged and proud of myself for making it through what was a very packed week. I decided to do a little experiment on Instagram. I created a new account with the handle at Traumatized Singer, and I plan on just recording from time to time little clips of me singing harmonies or songs as I try to discover my authentic voice. For many years, I have been singing covers, and though I enjoy it, I feel like I don't know what my actual voice sounds like. Because when I sing covers, I'm trying to sound like someone else. Usually the songs I sing are not songs that I listen to often. And I don't really get to sing the songs I really love all the time. So we shall see how this goes. You are welcome to follow the Instagram account for Traumatized Singer. And witness the little experiment I have going on over there uh, on real time. Before we start, I want to acknowledge that Therapy might not be accessible to some of you listening. Therapy is expensive. Finding the right match can be even harder. And then adding the chances that the right fit is taking patients and the times they have available work with your schedule can literally make this sound like finding a needle in a haystack. However, I think it is really important to talk about therapy and the different modalities available for treating complex PTSD. Today, Hello Trauma Brain hits two more milestones as I will be having my first interview with an expert in the field. And also, this is the first video interview for the podcast. Speaking of which, if you want to see the actual footage of this interview, you can head over to the Hello Trauma Brain's YouTube channel. Do note that the only video footage included in this episode will be for the interview portion, so you won't see footage at the beginning and end of the episode while I am doing these additional parts. One more thing, I am still getting the hang of this process and how to produce it in the best quality possible. Something that was impactful to me was noticing that in the past, I would have either tried to finish someone else's sentences if they made a pause, or I would feel my instinct kicking in to fill empty space. And I think part of it was that silence made me uncomfortable. I don't know if it is my own healing or the fact that Gabrielle was allowing me to have those spaces in between as well. But this time, something just felt different in the dynamic we had in our conversation. So I chose to leave the spaces for you to experience them with us too. I invite you to notice how those spaces feel like for you, if you notice impatience coming up, or if you don't notice any spaces at all. I do invite you to sit with what you discover as you listen. Now, just like the interviews that precede this one, my interview with Gabrielle will be split into two parts, and this week you will get to hear part one. Now, without any further delay, enjoy this conversation with Gabrielle Marchant.
All right, survivors, I am thrilled to introduce you today to Gabrielle Marchant. Gabrielle is a relationship recovery process therapist living in Johannesburg, South Africa. He was trained by Amanda Curtin and Patrick Tehan and holds an MA in drama therapy. He is a childhood trauma survivor himself and has been working as a helper in some capacity since 2014. His passion is helping those affected by childhood trauma get their full selves online so that they can live fulfilling lives and give the gifts they were born to give freely and joyfully. In a previous life, he was an actor, puppeteer, university lecturer, and film director. Thank you so much, Gabrielle, for joining me for this conversation today. How are you feeling? Um, like I said, a little nervous. Yeah. Uh, good. Yeah, I feel good. Yeah, uh, whatever it's worth, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous too. This is a uh, first official video interview at Hello Trauma Brain. So, <laughs> so here we go. Uh, I'm honored to be your first video interview. And there you go. <laughs> we can take that box together. <laughs> so, Gabrielle, I, I wanted to start off by asking you, how did you get into working as a therapist specializing in childhood trauma? Um, well, I came at it from, um, from addictions work. Okay. So, when... Um, when I was younger, I had struggles with addiction um, and I started, uh, I got clean and and all of that and, and started helping other people to do the same. Um, and I thought really when I went into becoming a therapist, that's what I wanted to do, that I wanted to help people with addictions. But I found as time went on, my own addiction issues didn't really they weren't really uh, treated by addiction therapy uh, as it existed. They they were only arrested by it. Mm. So, you know, it was like you could be, you could sort of not not be a using drug addict or not be a, a an overeating overeater or not be a, so you know you could do that, but but it didn't ever go away. And it was only when I came across childhood trauma work and when I realized that that was at the root of my own addictions, um, did things really start to get better in a way that I knew that it weren't going to go back. It was wow. that thing was gone. That thing was relieved. And, um, and so that became for me more of a, more of a passion because I felt like I had found something that actually worked. And if you if you've lived with um, with mental health issues, if you've lived with um, like long term chronic stuff, mm -hmm. you know that nothing works. Not really, you know. Uh, some things kind of work for a bit, you know, but nothing changes it, and you get incredibly despondent. At a certain point and and a bit cynical you know and it becomes a, almost an identity you know i'm fucked up even if you're in recovery you're like, you know yeah well you know us people in recovery we're all fucked up mm. and um and i found out that that's through through doing 
childhood trauma work that that was didn't have to be true and um there was another way um that it addressed what actually happened of course the yeah so that's how i came at it um and i trained initially you know um uh, training in rrp i didn't imagine myself actually doing this with other people i just wanted this for myself i wanted recovery for myself mm -hmm. um but i was encouraged to 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 incorporate into therapy for Thank you for sharing uh, your your story with us, Gabrielle. And I I want to commend you for the work that you're doing. Is addiction recovery is not easy, and it is. It sounds like a lifetime process. And the fact that not only you worked on your own recovery, but you also help others is so meaningful. And you you did mention the RRP. Uh, and I wanted to I wanted to ask you to define it for us. And also. Uh, Something that I find interesting is because RRP tends to be a group work, which I feel like in the addiction recovery process, group work tends to be a common thing too. Um, are you able to explain what RRP is and how does the group setting, how can that be different from the individual in a little bit more more depth? Sure. Um, in a nutshell, RRP is a like is in the name re relationship recovery process. It's a process for helping people to recover what was lost in traumatic childhoods and dysfunctional childhoods. And that's um it's there are other there are other modalities of therapy that help people recover. Um what is very what's unique about RRP is that it is so such a structured process. Um and you do reach you do kind of reach the end of it eventually. Mm -hmm. you do get enough healing which is really important you know to know that um you you, you can get to a place where where things are um are better in a good enough way yeah. um yeah the the group work thing you're right it does it is the primary way that um most addiction recovery stuff works and um and some say it's the best way to do therapy in general. Mm -hmm. And I, I would agree to an extent. I, I think it's it's a really important part of therapy. Because I mean, for most for most of us who have suffered from from mental health issues, a big part of it is struggling with relationships. Kind of no matter what it is, you know. And um, being able to to connect with other people who either have uh, similar struggles or who are willing to be compassionate and to be in relationship with you is very healing. I, I do believe that, you know, human beings have the power to, to create the space of healing for each other. Wow. And, and people gathering around you in a, in a circle, whether it's a literal circle, in person or a metaphorical circle online, mm -hmm. um, that witnessing that they can provide and that that feedback and love that they can provide really does heal. Um, it helps us to connect and in connection, we can heal from from what happened in disconnection, essentially. The, um, the, the, the theory behind why group is so important in RRP is because we were hurt in a group. It was a group dynamic that was so injurious to us. 
mm-hmm. family. And whether that hurt was by was by active abuse or by passive neglect, um, it's still groups will trigger us as a result of that. And 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 if that those groups are are held intentionally and properly, and there's a process to doing it, then those triggers can actually lead us to the places where we need to be healed. And that's kind of that's kind of vital. It takes the it takes the thing that makes groups so difficult for a lot of trauma survivors and turns it into the thing that's actually going to help you to heal. Wow. Hmm. That I need to sit with that statement for a moment because it's I can like I felt that in my body as as you were as you were talking because I a lot of my own recovery I feel like when I I tend to isolate so when I am on my own I feel like the triggers are gone and it feels like I'm making progress and then I start having a conversation with someone I meet up with anyone and all of a sudden the stuff starts trickling back it almost feels like where did the progress go why did it go away and i i think that's one of the things that has drawn me into i've been i've been looking into rrp for for a while now and that's that's been one of the factors that drew me in like okay that is when i when i struggle i struggle in relationship i struggle interacting with other people and it's it's chronic. It's it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 with everybody, and I love the idea and how hopeful it is here that this type of modality there is a there's a there's an end in sight. There's a horizon. There's a point where it sounds like there is an improvement that can be achieved and it can be good enough for for a trauma survivor to be able to function. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the, like, personally for me, I've been doing therapy for years and years and years and years, and it feels like everything is getting better. And then the moment I get into a relationship, bam, it's like I'm back in square one. I I can't tell you how, how hopeful, like, my, and my inner kiddo was just like, wait, there's a, there's a way to get better that actually can be sustainable. And that's what I'm hearing as you talk about how RRP um has helped you and how you help clients through the RRP process. Um, I one thing that I know about RRP um, is that it can include some experiential uh, exercises. And I noticed in your background you said you have drama therapy as as your MA. So how does does that play a component into the RRP? How you do it, given that you have that drama therapy background, Gabrielle? I think that was that was kind of just serendipitous luck in a way mm. um yeah there are some things about rrp which are which are similar to psychodrama and drama therapy and i think that's yeah i mean it's kind of helpful um although many rrp therapists don't have any drama therapy background at all I and i think they do a very good job so mm-hmm. yeah um in terms of, of a group for anyone listening who's curious about RRP, how big are the groups usually? And um, I guess the the length of the program, like how long can it take? Groups are no bigger than eight members. Uh, sometimes they're smaller. And the process, uh, you start with a six-month group. And... Uh, that group is for people to get a sense of whether or not this work is really for them. 
Um, and then when you've graduated from that, you can go on to do a, a longer term group, which can be anywhere between two to four years, depending on what the members feel they need and when they feel they're finished. Mm-hmm. So and in that um in that two to four years, um you do a lot of these experiential things that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of other stuff. Thank you, uh Gabrielle. I I'm trying to um Trying to think here uh, for so I I know I know the answer to some of these questions I've been looking into RRP but for a trauma survivor that's listening to this uh, and I'm I'm thinking back to even myself when I started doing this work a lot of the beginning of my my journey was was it that bad and the, does no. it merit for me to be here and I I feel yeah. like a lot of the listeners might resonate with that like sense of like that vacillating back and forth how. Um, how do you help clients navigate that beginning landscape of wondering if they even are supposed to be there or not? Yeah, so that's that's a really important question. Mm-hmm. And it is what a large part of that first six months is about. And really, we come back to it all the time. Um, it is a feature of, of having experienced childhood trauma to doubt how bad it was even if you know it was really bad. Wow. Even if people know it was really bad, they have no problem saying I was horrendously abused and 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 there's no doubt about that. They will still often find a way to make, to find some little gems in there that really were not gems either. Wow. You know, so a big part of it, this is this is the grief work. You know, the grief is, is, it was really bad. Wow. And you know it's really bad because of the symptoms that follow. Hmm. What happens to people in their childhoods and how it shapes the rest of their lives, I think I might have said this to you the last time we spoke, um, is really a matter of physics. It's cause and effect. It's not, you know, it's not that something happened to you in childhood and it was kind of minor, but you made a big deal out of it, you know, and now you're being a drama queen, you know, that's not, that's not real. That doesn't happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is because you didn't know what was happening to you when you were a kid. So you didn't know to be a drama queen about it. You couldn't have judged. You were a child who didn't understand what was happening. So how you react was exactly in proportion to what happened. And of course, we all react a bit differently because we're all different. Mm. But our reactions are never outsized. They're exactly appropriate. So if you have suffered a lot as an adult, as a result of what happened to you as a kid, Mm. the extent of your suffering tells you how bad it was. And that's what we have to, we have to parent our inner children to understand it is okay to grieve now. It wasn't safe to grieve then. But it is now because we've got, you know, we've got to be that parent for our inner kids who can hold that, who can hold that grief. 
I'm sitting with that statement of this is grief work and it wasn't safe to grief then and it's safe to grief now. Um, I, I struggle with that myself, <laughs> with that grief process. And I, at this point, I'm, I'm more in a, in a position where I am, I'm understanding better what happened. And um, something that, something that for me, uh, that I found in my experiences, the gaps, and for a long time, I was so obsessed with, I want to remember every little detail. And if I cannot remember every little detail, and maybe this is all in my head. And I think it, I heard Patrick talk about this in one of his videos about like, it's the triggers, it's the symptoms that tell your story. Mm. Can I ask you, um, what are your thoughts on, on, on how that can become a way to tell the story without remembering the specific instances of the trauma? Yeah, well, the difficulty, right, is this is CPTSD we're talking about, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And that means that it wasn't one or two things. It wasn't even four or five things. It wasn't even 10 or 40 or 50 or 60 things. It was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things, thousands. It was very often every day for a whole childhood, many things happening every day entire entire nutrients of the human spirit that were missing mm. from from a childhood so um so it is hard to remember specific incidents and often if you ask you in a child if you if you dialogue about it for example and you ask you in a child they may have they may know of a specific instance that comes to mind they might also just say every it was all the time it was just always like this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know yeah. and and i find that over time more memories do return but they when they do they're not always the point the point is the kid says i was abandoned you know it's lonely here. Nobody likes me. You know, these are the these are the things that are really hurtful that are going on, you know. Maybe, you know, maybe dad is scary. Dad hits or dad's never there or 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 you know, there's many, many things that these are not these are not individual instances which can be remedied. They are there are whole patterns of relationship which are missing or are twisted or perverted that a child is asking if there is such a thing as a better result than this. If there is such a thing as trust, is that a possible thing, you know, or is that a fantasy that's t that you see in the movies, you know? And, and, and the real, I think the calling of, of recovering is to realize that we can be that adult who is trustworthy, who is loving. And if we, if we want to recover, that's a sign that we want to be that, that adult. We have the capacity to, to be that adult. Uh, if we aren't that person already. Mm. Wow. It's just getting through to that kid, you know, like it's hard to get through to a kid who, who was abandoned every day. 
you know that that's that takes a that takes a lot of um showing up and a lot a lot of consistency and a lot of really really careful parenting um and thinking very deeply about what this kid needs and talking to them and developing a relationship it's it's a complex um long-term intervention and wow Gabrielle, when uh, and briefly before I keep asking more questions, I, I've talked about dialoguing on the podcast a little bit. I've given like a brief overview for anyone listening. Uh, this might be your first episode uh, for any of you listening. Gabrielle, briefly, how does dialoguing work? So it, it, I know the common misconception is, oh, it's just talking to yourself, but it's a lot more intricate, intricate than that. If you could please explain it for us. And thank you. Yeah, so dialoguing is... It's a technique that we use in RRP. I, I believe it exists elsewhere um, in other therapies. Uh, and we dialogue with our inner child uh, using our dominant hand as our adult voice and our non-dominant hand as our child's voice. And you'll do it on a page. And on the one side, you'll write your adult's voice. On the other side, you'll write your child's voice. And um, what this encourages is a kind of um, integration across the lobes of the brain, right? Because your 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 the the right hemisphere of your brain controls your left hand, and the left hemisphere of your brain controls your right hand. So, so there is a way, very much like how um, EMDR works, mm -hmm. which is a which is a form of therapy where you recall memories while moving your eyes back and forth. And that helps the brain to integrate those experiences across the whole brain, mm. right? Um, so that's the kind, basically, in a nutshell, the theory of how it works. And in practice, it's learning to talk to that part of you who is like a child. And if you are a survivor, you know that part, or you may you may be aware that there is a part of you that sometimes takes control, sometimes takes control for very long periods of time, um, who carries a lot of pain. And that is um Patrick has a nice way of describing it. He says if you don't if the if the term in a child makes you feel icky or you don't like it, think about it as your amygdala or like your 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 fear, your fight, flight, and freeze nervous system. Mm -hmm. um, you're trying to get more of your frontal lobes in charge, more of your higher, um, uh, um, what's the word, executive functioning brain in charge. Mm -hmm. And that is represented by your adult and and your your fight, flight, and freeze system is, is represented by your child. And it's your, your fight, flight, and freeze system but it's also your capacity for joy and your capacity for innocence and love. Wow. You know, wow. it's, it's, um, it's all of that. And so we write back and forth in a particular way to parent that part of ourselves, to talk to them about what they're being flashed back to, what they're having an emotional flashback about. And then we speak the truth to them about what was really going on in that situation. And we hold the people who did it accountable. 
whether they are parents or relatives or school bullies. We 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 go back to the parents ultimately mm. because there's parents, it is the parents' responsibility to take care of all the hurts that a child suffers. And very often trauma uh, trauma results not from the injury, but from the response to the injury. Wow. If you if you fall and hurt yourself, um, and somebody picks you up and makes it better and takes you to the doctor and gets you sewn up and and hugs you and loves you and takes care of you, that's great. If you fall and you hurt yourself and nobody responds in your family at all, you know, and you are left to try, try and take care of this wound yourself, this is a kind of just very simple example, um, then there is trauma there. Because what if I fall again? Oh, I don't know if I can, what if I don't survive next time? You know, no one's going to help me. That's what you learn, right? In the first situation, you learn it's okay to fall because people will help me, mm. you know, so I can be bold in the world and I can go out and make mistakes and there's repair, repair is possible. In the second example, you learn repair is not possible and that if you hurt yourself, you're in real trouble, you know, and that that become that type of thing becomes a pattern in adulthood which we would recognize as as a, a traumatized response wow mm. thank thank you gabrielle um i'm taking all of this in and i i want to i want to add an example to it because i've I've done work with survivors of, of childhood trauma and I know, and I've heard this story too. Um, there is a story for some survivors of the child that falls and gets injured and their reaction is shaming the child for falling or blaming them for the fall or there, there is a level of care, but there is this huge reaction that is also sending that same message of it's not safe to fall. Mm. Like the the reaction, and for for those of you that are listening, like if you're if you're thinking, well, they did react to it. It's not like they just acted like nothing was happening. Like how that like how that reaction was registered in your nervous system. That's that's the important part. That's what's causing symptoms now. And I I wanted to dive deeper in, into this concept because I, I, as a survivor myself, I've heard this over and over. It happened forever ago, let it go. Why are you going back there? You know, focus on the present. And it's so hard to, it's so hard to get through some people who, are, who, who wanna dismiss what happened in the past and stay present, quote unquote. Um, Gabrielle, why is it important to go back there? And, and you started talking a little bit about that, but you know, what's, what's the importance of starting there first? Because from what I understand from RRP, that's the main focus of, of the group at the beginning. Hmm. Um, so the importance of going back is that that's where the problem is. And... Um, to, to those who who say, um, you know, it was in the past, you should forget about it, you should deal with the present, um, I would say denial is not just a river in Egypt. It's um, it's, a, it's, it's a state of mind that keeps you miserable. miserable. Um, 
there's a there's a um there's a nice uh, that's that's like a that's like a silly 12 step phrase <laughs> when people are being full of shit you say the nile's not just a river in egypt um <laughs> I mean, first time i hear it <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a it's a lame little phrase but but it gets the point across it's denial yeah, yeah. you know yeah. in what other line of human endeavor would you not try to find the source of a problem you know if you have a if you have a problem with your car do you look under the hood for what is causing the problem <laughs> you consider maybe that it might be there might be something that was done wrong at the factory and something needs to be replaced or you know in what line of human endeavor do you not look for the root of a problem right wow yeah and in 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 human development heck don't even talk about humans in animal development any animal any plant development what you do to the young one is going to have a long-term effect. Anything that you do to the young one. Young people are resilient and they have a lot of energy to cope with difficulty. Mm -hmm. um, which is why that good enough parenting uh, doesn't have to be perfect. You know, children can absorb a lot of shocks. They can. Um, but people who have are suffering from the after effects of a traumatic childhood did not have a good enough childhood. It wasn't good enough enough of the time. And and it doesn't have to be good enough even all that much. Wow. Something like 30% is all that it takes for things to be good enough. But if you carry with you um, uh, intractable depression and anxiety and social issues and relationship issues, addiction issues into your adult life that make your life miserable. Um, you are not stuck in the past. This is the thing Patrick says that I love. You're not stuck in the past. The past is stuck in you. So you can't, you have to realize that you can't run anymore from this. Mm. You have to deal with what is there. Yeah. The, the past is in you. And it's a reality that has to be dealt with. And the, the type of person who says something like that mm. tends to be the type of person who has decided that they are just going to die from the things that afflict them from their own childhoods. They're just wow. going to live with the alcoholism that they've got. They're going to live with their rage issues. They're going to live with the fact that they can't have intimacy. And they're just going to stuff it down and hope for the best. And um, they made that decision a long time ago, mm. very often. And um, and people who are seeking recovery realize that they don't want to do that. That it's that it they don't deserve to live like that. Mm -hmm. um, now, the, I mean, the alternative, actually, doing the work of recovering, is not easy. It's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard. It's so hard that sometimes you think, "Why did I start this?" But you know. You know, you know that the alternative is not really an alternative. Uh, once you understand that, um, there is in many ways no going back. Hmm. I, 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> feel like I'm I'm glad we're recording this because I feel like I, I need to hear a lot of what you're saying again and, and a few more times for it to fully fully yeah, sink in. Every, everybody does. Everybody does. You need to hear good messages and you need to hear truth a lot. Yeah. You know, once is not enough. Uh, like the experiences of childhood weren't just once. You know, they were repeated all the time. You know, those messages get deep into into our consciousness and they become beliefs and you need to hear affirming truth um, as often as possible. Yeah. Thank you. I, I feel like <laughs> Patrick said I get a bunch of shout outs today because uh, one thing I heard him say, uh, gosh, hang on. It, it, it was there and it left for a second. Ah, what was it? Um, yes, it was something about like children need repetition. Hmm. And I feel yeah. like I, I often feel like I'm so underdeveloped in many ways and, and I need that repetition. Like that's, that's such an important piece and something that I that I love about this conversation is, you know, we're, we're not coming at this from the word, you know, it's, it's all it's all done and there's nothing else to do. Like we, we reached the end of the of the line with the recovery. However, what I hear in, in, in your experiences, there is a part when it becomes better. And I, I want to focus on that for a moment because I feel like the voices of those people who are in denial, who are not working mm -hmm. in their recovery, those are strong voices out there. There's a lot of those voices just echoing and echoing. And the, what troubles me with those voices is, it's not like they're just doing the denial to themselves, but they're imposing it and encouraging everybody else to get on board with the denial, because otherwise their denial cannot cannot withstand. And I, for I mean, I'm asking for myself, but also for the people listening. You know, we don't hear a lot about the voices of the people who are doing this hard work, continue doing this hard work and start to get better. What is getting better and healing in a good enough way? How can that um, how can that look like? And how does it look like for you? So um, what I said to you in uh, my little bio, I think really sums it up for me. It's my particular point of view is that we are, we are born with gifts. We are born with ways that we are, which are a gift to the world. Yeah. Every child is a gift. We know this. Yeah. If you're in the company of a child, you know, this child is a gift yeah. to the world. That doesn't change just because you grow up. You stay a gift. You know, you stay a gift. You're a gift to the world. What you have to offer the world needs. People need you. And, um, and recovery for me is about getting that back. Because we know as, as, as survivors, we, we know very often we're yearning to give what we have to give. Right? We know that's what we want. Mm -hmm. We want to just be able to give it, but there's all this pain and confusion and these behaviors which we don't feel like we have control over, which stop us and all this doubt and, you know, really, really difficult to overcome voices on the inside. And that to me is what it's really about. And that's to me, that to me is what recovery looks like. It can still continue to be emotionally very difficult for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the grief 
takes years and years and years, the grieving work. It takes years and years and years. And all kinds of pain comes up because you feel it all again. You know, all that it wasn't safe to feel, you feel. And you just spend a lot of time just being with your aching body and your aching heart through this work. And eventually you start to find strength in those places to, to take risks that you may not have been willing to take before mm. and to, 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 um, to exist in places in yourself that you had boarded up and said, I'm never going in there. I, I think about it often like, um, I like the metaphor of the, the self as being a house, right? Like you are this great big rambling mansion. You've got all these rooms. And as a result of the trauma that you suffered, there's, there's monsters in there. You know, people put bad voices inside you and they taught you they taught you wrong things and those things exist as monsters in certain of those rooms and so you just kind of board them over and put wallpaper over where the door used to be and slowly over the years you live in a smaller and smaller house until you're just living in the kitchen you know mm. and and you don't have a living room anymore and you don't even have a bathroom and you don't have a bedroom you know you just got the place where you can eat and um and pray <laughs> that the monsters don't get you, you know, and really one has to claim back those, those rooms so that you have access to, to all of yourself. Um, so that you can, so that you can exercise your birthright mm. and, um, and reclaim your space, live bigger. That's, that's incredibly meaningful. So I, a lot of trauma survivors, me included, I isolation is a thing and our lives do get small. You're so mm -hmm. right. I, ne I never saw the house metaphor in that way. You're so spot on that as, as the trauma keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, it just, you end up in a corner. And it's so easy to kind of, become almost like like a ghost like you fade fade into the background and that's it mm. you're gone and wow i just listening to you talk just that that idea of reclaiming what's already there what belongs to us like i love how you use birthright that word is so powerful because i feel like often having joy like i remember when i when i read your bio like i i actually like freely and joyfully stopped me in my tracks reading it it's like oh, what is freely and joyfully <laughs> what is what does that fully mean to live in that space and not that it's always like 100 freely and joyful like like th life happens and things happen of course but to like to see those two words to hear them and to take in that's a birthright that's not asking that's that's not asking for something that doesn't belong to me that i need to earn and work very hard to get that i maybe i shouldn't be getting like it's it is a right the moment we were all born that was supposed to be there and and we were supposed to have it and 
just taking in that, getting that back. It already belongs to us. And how hard it is to get to that place. Like, I, I, I hope I get there. I'm still working on it. But wow, that was incredibly powerful, Gabrielle. Thank, thank you for, for sharing that. I, oh, I, need, I need a moment to sit with that. Wow. I believe we will get there. Mm. So, um, Thank you. I wouldn't have believed it until I experienced it myself. Wow. But at a certain point, um, at a certain point, beginning to feel at home in my own body, in my own self. Wow. And, and um, it occurred to me that I'd always been suffering. It only occurred to me at that point wow. that I started to feel good in my body. That I realized, oh, I thought this whole time I've been in pain. You know, because we, we get used to it. We get used to the, the, the pain that we live in. And only when it goes away, do you, and you really start to grieve. Mm -hmm. You know, because you realize that you have been living under a huge, huge weight for so, so long. But it makes sense if you think about it, because we are. It should feel good to be a, to be you. It should. You're from here. This is your home, this planet. You know, you you're a part of a long lineage of creatures who have lived since the dawn of time. You have grown up in this place. Every part of you. Is 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 a friend to the to the to the rocks and the trees and the birds, and the air. You are, you you have been harmonizing with this for billions of years, as as a as an ancestry, of, of of biology, as a lineage. This is your home. And you were made to feel like it wasn't. As a kid. You were. Uh, a, a, a terrible, um, terrible trick was pulled to make you feel like you were in some nightmare of being on a foreign planet where you don't belong. You know, um, that's a. I know that's a something that a lot of survivors experience is this feeling of like the suspicion that they were adopted and nobody ever told them, or that that they were. Um, from another planet, like they somehow their alien mother and father dropped them off with this this human couple, and they don't really belong here at all. And that's not true. That's what happens when when people treat you like you don't belong. The proper configuration is for a for a, a human being to be born and embedded in a in a family system that cares for them like they are a part of its own body, which they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, to not get that is to feel like a foreign body. And and to be quest to question yourself even, should I even exist? Because if I'm a foreign entity in this environment, maybe I'm not good for it. You know? There's there's an incredible honorableness in the human spirit that asks that question. Mm -hmm. If you're made to feel you don't belong, you ask that question, well, should I? Maybe, maybe I shouldn't exist. 
you know mm-hmm. it's incredibly it's incredibly honorable in a sense to consider that if the environment seems to be rejecting you perhaps it's you that's the problem you know there's no arrogance in that at all it's incredibly humble mm-hmm. um and and it exists so that i think so you know that that instinct in us exists so that we as adults can tell when we are in places that we shouldn't be mm. but when that is instilled in you as a child and it becomes the one of the deepest operating beliefs that you have then you live in you live in a kind of loneliness and rootlessness which is um unbearable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah we're we're human i mean the human species like we're supposed to exist in community and it's so important to have that interaction and i i mean i don't have much to add to what you're saying because you're nailing it it was bringing to my mind is you know going back to rp i i think that's what's fascinated me about that modality because i've done individual therapy for a long time but to have that sense of community and I, and I talked about, about this a little bit when I did the no contact episode. That when, when I went no contact, having a place where I could belong was so important to help me go through that grief process. I'm still going through it. But in RRP, like having other people that are survivors that are doing this work, it's, I, I think that's what makes RRP special because of that power of connection of of having that mirror that a lot of us didn't have reflecting back at you and what you've experienced and and to help you even figure out what your feelings i i personally struggle with with my feelings all the time like i i feel the things very strongly but i i rarely can name them properly or i intellectualize myself out of it and i i might be doing that right now hang on i just hit my microphone (laughs) y'all heard that that was me (laughs) I kicked it by accident, but I, um, gosh, I, I'm wondering right now, cause you've witnessed this process for yourself where you've, you've done this work and you've, you got to the point where you realize all the suffering that you're, that you've, that you've endured and you're feeling better. Now you're helping other people too. So you're witnessing other people go through that process. How does it feel to witness someone? come to therapy work with you and they begin in that in, in that place where you were you, you recognize that's that's where you were years ago or however long ago and now you see them get to that other side where they're like oh this i can feel good in my body i'm starting to feel at home again now i have my living room again how does it feel to witness that for other people and to help them get there um well for me um i'm quite i'm quite a new rrp therapist right i've been i've been a therapist for a bit but i'm i'm quite a new rrp therapist so for me it's something that i'm very very excited about and grateful for is to is to guide people through this process because um like being able to 
being able to hold that process for other people when i when i started doing the work the rrp work i felt so grateful just to be able to do this you know and then when i experienced how transformative it was i was kind of i could i couldn't believe it for quite a long time you know it's hard to believe but then you think am I, am i imagining this but then as time goes on the changes become more solid and they become like actual ground beneath your feet you know and i felt i feel like this is um what i want to do for other people because and the, the lovely thing about it is that it's a it's a process that's that amanda has practiced for 40 years Patrick has been practicing for many years as well. And it, it's been well thought out and it clearly works. And it clearly works from my experience as well. And when, when one of my clients does experience something that they haven't experienced in other therapy before, mm -hmm. and they feel, a, oh, this part of myself that's always been kind of looked at askance in therapy, you know, and treated like some some pathology or whatever is actually a part of me that's welcome here that to me is very is is very powerful it's one of the most powerful things to me to witness somebody go oh there's no bullshit here i don't have to pretend like um like i know what's going on survivors how are you feeling so far i hope you have found this first part of my interview with gabrielle impactful next week i invite you to come back as i will continue my conversation with gabrielle where we talk about the importance of finding a therapist that understands how to treat childhood trauma and validates their client's experience how healing childhood trauma can allow survivors to get access to parts of themselves that have been asleep for years. How can we become a part of the solution and reclaim our power back and so much more. In this week's healing invitation, I want to offer you a few things to reflect about. I invite you to reflect on the idea of reclaiming your birthright. How does it feel to hear that you being treated with respect, kindness, compassion, and care is your birthright? Does that feel foreign or comfortable? Does it feel ridiculous? Or do you feel grief just from thinking about that? I invite you to reflect on what you think is your birthright. I also welcome you to return next week for a special healing invitation from Gabrielle. Please let me know how this week's healing invitation goes if you choose to accept it. Before we wrap up this episode, all music and production is courtesy of yours truly. Also, I want to share a few ways you can help support this podcast. You can subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or the platform you are using to listen. 
share this episode with anyone you can think can benefit from this content. Follow Hello Trauma Brain on Instagram with the handle at Hello Trauma Brain. Subscribe to the Hello Trauma Brain YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to be the first to know when I post a new episode. And you can make a donation by getting me a coffee through the official bio site. No worries. All links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for joining me and Gabrielle today. We hope you found this episode helpful. I wish you the best as you reflect on reclaiming your birthright. It is time for our farewell affirmations. You are welcome to repeat after me. I am enough. I am lovable. And I deserve to heal. I wish you a gentle week and thank you for listening.